Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we talk to a different guest each day from a different state each week. I'm your host, Tom Pollard, and this week we're in the state of Alaska, and today we're in Anchorage. Our guest today is Ingvil Batangutu, and we'll talk with her in just a minute. But I was talking to a friend of mine about a couple's book that my brother wrote. It's a, a workbook called Two Years After Forever. It's sort of a guide to improve communication skills with, well, your partner, whomever. But as you know, relationships require those good communication skills. So while we're speaking a little later in the conversation, I mentioned the book again, Two Years After Forever. It's the name of the book that I told you my brother wrote. And she interrupted me and said, oh, your brother's book. I thought you meant a book that you borrowed from your brother. Three little words, my brother's book, two different interpretations. In two years after forever, there are exercises that help you form better communicative skills to avoid pratfalls like that one. Along with your partner, learning and applying these exercises help you get back to why two years ago you pledged a life together forever. Two years after forever.com. Two years after forever, available at Amazon today and forever. How did I do on the name? Okay, this is audio, so she's giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> uh, we're with Ingvil Vatengutu. That's uh, not an Irish name. No, it's not. It's not even Northern Irish. It's Norwegian. <laughs> My uh, parents uh, are Nor. Norwegian, and I grew up in Norway, and uh, the middle name Vatten is my mother's family name, and Gutu is my father's family name, and Ingvil is a very Norwegian, sort of Viking, Icelandic, uh, Norwegian type name, and they had not in their wildest dreams imagined that I would leave the nest and never come back again, and so I spent all my adult life in English-speaking countries explaining, apologizing, insisting, hiding you know, negotiating the pronunciation <laughs> of my name. I've uh, been a little bit tempted at, at times, uh, especially when I was in theatre in London, in the UK, My the first kind of earlier part of uh, leaving Norway. Um, I was looking for a stage name so that people would call me and offer me work. Yeah. But I can't seem to let go of my identity. So there it is. There it is. Well, by the way. <laughs> what, is your, what is your musical identity? My musical identity is as uh, it's very complex. That's a great question. I think that I feel that I am a, um, let's see, I'm a frustrated fusion and rock guitarist who learned to play classical guitar. I'm also a wind player, trumpet player. I learned mm -hmm. to play trumpet before anything else. I was three years old when I started playing trumpet. And in terms of music, I listened till. I was, you know, so there was no more room in my head to classical music. Everyone in my family are classical musicians. And uh, I had my first sort of eureka or my first sort of real formative musical experience with a Norwegian saxophonist called Jan Garbarek. He's actually Czech-Norwegian. And he plays tenor. Well, he plays all kinds, but he's a well-known ECM uh, artist. And so the sort of folk world, Norwegian, yeah, folk music based classical training background to jazz. I'm not a bebop jazz player, 
I think I hang out in the in the fusion kind of thing, 1960s, 70s. Yeah. Then the 90s, when synthesizer and electronics and all of that was really coming in. So that's kind of my... Um, uh, that, by, that, that's my ecosystem. <laughs> that's when I started it. I started calling it confusion jazz. Yeah, the confusion jazz. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just going to accept that. I'm a very accepting person. I yeah. don't, I don't see that as a negative at all. <laughs> do you, uh, do you play a lot of jazz festivals around the world? Do you stay in Alaska, or what do you do? Uh, I don't play so much. I kind of once you get to Alaska, it's hard to get out again. You know, I used to. Uh, perform the thing is that i did theater music because i have this sort of wide uh palette i think and i and i went to drama school i thought i wanted to be an actor and so while i was at drama school in london in my early 20s somebody very smart said oh you play some music maybe you want to write some theater music for this play that we're doing like one of our final productions when you're sort of graduating from theater school and I remember sitting in the auditorium with the director next to her like that with our feet up on the backs of the next seat you know watching the stuff going I know how to do this like this is my thing so I've been scoring theater and film mm -hmm. sort of ubiquitously for for decades before I thought yeah maybe I need to kind of focus on something and I I'm not really good at focusing on one thing so yeah, the, you seem to have you seem to have nailed this jazz thing. I watched the what was it called? I, I mispronounced or misnamed it the the public television show or that you were oh, on. Oh, the KTOO, the three sixty. Three sixty, yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah, no, I mean uh, I I love playing jazz and I play with a jazz musician. I started a jazz festival in Alaska sixteen years ago, and wow. I've played, they've allowed me to play every year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm sure I can play jazz. Um, I don't uh, love, like, I think a lot of people, in America anyway, a lot of the jazz, uh, and maybe it's the jazz journalist's fault, a lot of it comes down to sort of name-dropping people who lived in the 40s and 50s, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's to do with the education or the background or the age or whatever it is of the people who are in the media, and I'm not blaming anyone, I'm just saying, like, the, the sort of when people say jazz, and even the younger generations are kind of reluctantly coming to something I invite them to, mm -hmm. uh, when I say jazz, they're like, oh, no, I don't like it, you know, the, they're afraid. But uh, for me, uh, the that stuff, that bebop thing, which is sort of really close to Baroque in terms of harmony and 251s and all of that, it's just there's something about it that doesn't. It's the melodies don't excite me. I I think it's great to have the skill to negotiate those things, but I'd much rather play Bach than play, you know, a Charlie Parker tune. I'm sorry, nothing right. to do with anything. It's just that I'm just a great. I want to listen to it. I want to feel these improvisers as they go, as they take off with their immense ability and so on. But please don't lock me into a practice room with you know Amy Ebersol and twelve you know, chromatic runs. I'm just, I'll die. I'm dying. I have to have a different aim for my practice and my play. So There's I a... do think that in, it's very nice to hear that I'm nailing the jazz thing because I've always kind of felt like maybe I don't, you know. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, I know it's, it's the, 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 what's the saying about art? I don't know what it is, but I know what I like. And mm -hmm. jazz has so many different palettes to it. There's yeah. a, a little club in Vermont, where I am now, and every Thursday night they have a jazz night, and I go almost every Thursday night. And 
what's kind of fun is hearing a familiar song. And then I like, like you said, I like to hear their take on it, their interpretation of it. But I'm not that well-versed in jazz, so most of the music I'm hearing is new to me, and I just love it. And mm. uh, how do you define this? Is, I, I saw this in a movie once. It's a great, great line that how it was defined in this one movie. But I want to say, how do you define jazz in, uh, in an elevator speech? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I can say that I've, we've talked about that a lot, too, because we're branding a festival, a jazz festival. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, to me, I think jazz has to be containing an element of improvisation. Uh, but music to be played at a jazz festival doesn't necessarily have to be that. Uh, so I go back and forth between my sort of actual reality and talking, taking the word jazz in my mouth, and then and then looking at the other thing. I think improvisation, I think it originates somehow, it's connected in the sound world to something that started as a blues, as an African-American art form that came out of a lot of different styles of music. Originally, you know, a bit of African, bit of Hispanic, kind of another fusion thing. That kind of openness to combining a lot of element and mm-hmm. improvisation, and then the fact that the music musicians have heard the blues, you know, like they know what a seven chord is, and they might know extensions like nine, eleven, thirteen, mm-hmm. and they're sort of familiar with all of that. But, but you know, but it's it's almost like all that prescription. You can just say the background is there. This is the history of so jazz. I think is any anything any music that's created by folks that at least. Feel below that they belong in part of that whole tradition that I just sort of described badly. Um, <laughs> I, think that's great. That, I think improvisation is is a part of the activity of it. But I'm not. I think I'm being jazz by jazzy by not wanting to define something because that's part of what jazz is. You cannot yeah, really right. define it because it's it's alive and it's moving forward. And you know now. I think at least the black musicians will say the hip hop took over in eighties and nineties from what jazz was doing. And, you know, um, early, early African-American musicians like Louis Armstrong, I just listened to the the hello Dolly album. He was playing uh, uh, Calypso salsa. He was playing bebop. He was in his solos and he he was, you know, his tone, Uh he was kind of a Calypso singer. He was, preempting by uh quite a bit you know the um in in that particular tune although hello dolly obviously came you know after a, a lot of the bebop stuff had happened but he was an old guy then and he was had already been playing bebop since the 30s but people didn't call it that you know so so hip hop is is a form of jazz that people can really define it in so many ways but yes. it's the starting point right it's a certain we're leaning towards liking certain things and we can hang out together and experience music and, in that same way. In, in the music world, is is that where you like to live? Because you mentioned classical music, you mentioned guitar, you know, so do you like to play, like you, the video I saw again, you're playing a horn. Was that a trumpet, right? Not yeah, I play a lot of guitar these days. You know, yeah. I think guitar and trumpet. Guitar is just a friendlier instrument. You know, trumpet, if you don't play it every day for uh, quite a bit, or at least maybe you don't have to practice four hours a day. I have good friends who are world-class trumpet players who I know don't practice four hours a day, but they play (laughs) 
every day and they have maybe five gigs, you know, so they're kind of up there, but they're athletic. You know, guitar is almost like an anti-athletic instrument to a certain extent. You can get away with, your hands are always active. You've, you know, there's a whole other motoric thing that a human brain is conditioned to remember. So learning piano and learning guitar and learning fingerings and saxophone and clarinet, flute, they are, they're part of the human uh you know, DNA, but playing trumpet is not, it's like almost anti-human. <laughs> the, <laughs> the wind part, the the blowing part, the breathing is right. incredibly human. It's incredibly spiritual. And, and it's why I think that people really love the sound of a trumpet because subliminally they feel connected to what goes into making the sound. And we spend hours and hours on our sound as trumpet players. So I connect to the sound part with the trumpet and then I have a, kind of a bedroom songwriting sort of attitude to play in the guitar and the classical mm -hmm. guitar is a very sort of introverted thing often, you know, at least all the classical guitarists I hang out with are great introverts. <laughs> they prefer not to play, <laughs> you know, so there's, so there's different part of me and different instruments. I think is I've known that for a long time that I have a broader palette, a broader uh, personal uh, kind of experience in music by playing different instruments. Do you, uh, do you like to perform more than write or do you prefer to write more than perform or is it kind of a balance or? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's a balance. I think I practice in order to perform what I wrote. <laughs> so There you go. There you uh, go. That's a great answer. Especially the trumpet thing. Cause I went to school, I went to NYU to got a jazz degree as an adult, you know, about 11, 12 years ago. And I knew then that I was going to lock myself into that little practice room, not necessarily just practicing scales, but getting up to a level where I felt what I can express, what I have, you know, my potential and what the songs were that I'd already written and the tunes. So I think I'm a composer first. I wake up almost every day or every night, every morning with some more or less ready form tune in my head. And it's frustrating that I don't always have time to write it down. But when I do, then starts a whole new process, which is actually playing it and uh, performing it. And you used, a, it. used a real interesting word composer because uh, if I write, I'm a singer songwriter. So I write mm -hmm. lyrics yeah. and music that go with the lyrics or music and find lyrics to, to line up with that. As a, again, not to focus on just jazz, but as a jazz performer, jazz musician, or a classical musician, and all of these other things that you are, yeah. not a lot of lyrics involved. No, but I do write songs as well. Uh, if you go but on YouTube, I have a bunch of, and this is another thing. It's again, a time is about how many persons can you be in a lifetime? Yeah. I'm really trying to beat the world record because I, um, uh, I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have, 12 14 songs ready to go many of them I, I you know performed live over decades and i never really recorded them and it has to do with what you asked earlier what's your musical identity i've been very confused about that <laughs> and what my musical identity is and i refuse maybe to or not not out of spite but out of lack of ability to settle and and i feel that i respond i get inspired maybe some people say that i copy but no if i hear something that i really like typically i want to do it too uh -huh. yeah <laughs> so so you know over the years i've written a bunch of stuff that's kind of responds to that and many i'm sure many many people do it and then they're sort of 
convinced that that's not something that the world needs to know. And then they have a, an established career and there's like, yeah, I'm known as this. But then if you dove into it, it would be like a treasure trove of other talents and other uh, artistic expressions. And and I have been actively suppressed by almost everyone I know in that regard. People giving me well-meaning advice to say, Ingvild, you need to do one thing, you know, and I refuse. Not because I, I disagree, but I can't. I'm yeah, how how do you how do you stop that if it won't stop, you know? So speaking of songwriting, composing, songwriting, composing, uh, it's easy to come up with a song when you're writing songs, I guess. When uh, I stub my toe blues, you know, bell bottom blues, uh, lost without love, things like that, because they're they're things you feel. But you write songs without lyrics, and you're telling stories with music. Yeah, well observed. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, 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 two things on that. I think that my take on writing what you could say were jazz or contemporary nonverbal music. It could be mm -hmm. like people in the classical idiom, whatever. I think to a certain extent we're trying to be clever, but not not over not overly clever, but we're trying to be clever to ourselves. We're typically working on something, you know. I'm okay. learning a certain part of harmony or so we're kind of experimenting and it's almost like a examination piece, like can I master this? Can I do this? To for some people. And then the oh. other part is almost like a musical poem. So and I think for me, a lot of modern jazz and modern contemporary music is poetry and a jazz and poetry or, you know, that they go together. Yeah, and right. So you find a little unit of something that you can explore and hopefully it will have a meaning. And, you know, you're not changing the world because you're not writing a jazz symphony or a jazz mass, typically, although people do that, too. But you're doing this little thing, which is like a song about I stub my toe blue or whatever. The mm -hmm. last song that I wrote is called I Wish I Wasn't. And it's just... You know, it came out of, uh, we're not going to hear that because I haven't recorded it yet. But for example, you know, it came out of just having a sample uh, on my guitar synthesizer that I hadn't heard before that very often triggers something that mm -hmm. I'm yeah. working on in my life, personal life anyway. And then you just go with that and then boom, voila, if you're lucky, there's a song, right? So well, in that's theory. How you do it. Yeah, in theory. <laughs> The 67 years about, and I still haven't figured it out, but, <laughs> no, but it, it, I mean, I, that's kind of, it comes pretty quickly to me that those ideas, but maybe they're kind of samey. Maybe mm -hmm. I do, you know, maybe I don't know about that. I think I'm not sure. So, but, so your first song that we're going to listen to here now is yeah. called on the crosswalk. What's, yeah. what's that about? Why is it titled that? And what is, what's, yeah, the title what's the connection is, between like, the title branding. and the music? The title is branding. branding. Oh, come yeah, on. Because, well, it is. It was actually called Up High. I mean, no, actually, it wasn't. What was it called? Jumping, skipping along the fence. It's from a jam session in a recording studio in Durban, South Africa, 2008 wow. or something, 2009. Yeah, very specific. So I wrote a little lick to, I was in South Africa doing a second album of a, a, a trio that I worked, we were a trio called the Max Roach Park Project, Max Roach park is in brixton okay. london and uh i used to live in london i used to work with a drummer in london and our bass player lived in durban south africa so we were all three of us in a studio in in durban 
And I thought, okay, and good, you know, my Stevie style, I'm going to bring in some segments some fragments and we're just going to jam over that. And so this was one, I think it was first called Mellow and then it was called uh, Skipping Along the Fence because they thought it had a little sort of thing. Okay. And then I was like, ah, none of this makes any sense. And I had a, an idea for, you know, cover and everything for this album in New York. It has a Norwegian flavor to it, and it's about a Norwegian in New York. I'm a Norwegian in New York. Now, that's already been taken. <laughs> so it's sort of like to forcing ideas that you've been working on for a little while and just like putting, smacking a new title on it. And the photo uh, of on the cover on my third album, which was recorded in, in New York and where this was this version of it was recorded. Uh, you know, it's it's me crossing uh, uh I think it's forty second or forty third, just right near the crystal uh the, the Chrysler, sorry, building okay. and uh and you know Grand Central when I was living there. So it was like a really sort of pragmatic process to get <laughs> that particular one. Yeah, but it was so, still, you know, it's still truthful and authentic. <laughs> so with the phrase, with the phrase on the crosswalk, let's give it a listen and see what the audience takes away from that. Okay. With Ingvil Vatnagutu from Anchorage, Alaska. And this is her song on the crosswalk.
on the crosswalk. A song by our featured guest today, Ingvil Vatengutu from Anchorage, Alaska. And we're going to get back and talk to her a bit more about some more of her music. But uh, I did want to talk about cats. I don't like cats. I've had cats and I don't like cats. Now, though, maybe I would be able to like them again. Kitty's Litter Box, a new innovation in the litter box. It takes away a lot of that which I disliked about cats, mainly the litter box. Kitty's Litter Box is a completely biodegradable litter system that eliminates the hassle of cleaning out the litter box, changing the litter, yuck, you know, that litter box. But this one, you just open it up. Kitty's Litter Box, you open it up, and after Kitty has done their business, you simply close the box, and after about 30 days or so of, of Kitty using the box, you just throw the whole thing away. None of the extra cleaning, none of the extra this and that, and having to get rid of all the litter and, and just you know, power washing the litter box, whatever, you just toss the whole thing out, okay? And uh, you're, you're, you're not burdened with that hassle of clumps that are stuck and, and nasty. I don't want to go into detail. You know what I mean. If you've had cats, you know what I mean. So if you love cats... You're going to love your cat even more with Kitty's Litter Box. Available at kittyslitterbox.com. It's all lowercase, no hyphens, no commas, nothing. It's kittyslitterbox.com. Kitty's plural. Kittyslitterbox.com. It's perfect. And we're with Engvil Vatengutu from Anchorage, Alaska, our guest today on the Music of America podcast. And uh, so we're, we're into some jazz. And the, the next song I really wanted to have been waiting for this one because... It's such a cool syncopation. And yeah. how do you come up? How do you decide just like, let's do this and this. And first, what is that time signature? The, the song is called yeah. Broadway Bomb. What is your time so, signature? Uh, it's four. So it's kind of like. It's like triplets and over fours. It's almost like sort of Afro-Peruvian. I was biking. I was biking from Greenpoint. I was living in New York, biking from Greenpoint. And this is also what happens. I actually had an accident once when I was riding a song on a bike because I was so into writing it. But this mm -hmm. time I held on to my... So I was coming down, I can't remember whichever, this right, the Greenpoint towards sort of Williamsburg. And, and I was just biking and this rhythm just came into my head. So it's probably my pedaling and the breathing and like a physical body thing. Uh, you know, and I know that I am I have a sort of affinity for or love for, uh, you know, strange rhythms and counting. That and so, so I, I just thought these two go really easily together in my head. Mm -hmm. Wonder if anyone else can do it. So, um, I've so, never heard anything know, like it, but it really no, works. And it, it starts kind of like one and you think you have it. Yeah. And then there's like this other thing at the same time. And the drummer, you know, this was that time I went to NYU. I was working with some really awesome, much younger than me, but we were all master students at NYU. And it's the uh, the pianist on this, uh, Renato Dieth, and then Mareike Wiener, who's a German drummer, who just picked this up like nobody's business. And drummers, you know, they love this stuff because yeah, they yeah. they are like, oh, my God, it's like Babette's Feast. Please let me cook <laughs> the best dish, you know, like so they're so happy when somebody quirky like me come along and has been on a bike ride. So that so it's, <laughs> you know, I was not trying to be clever. It just kind of that's just how my mind works. And then I have the difficulty of then I have to try to figure out what is it? 
You know, that yeah. was the same question. What is it that I'm doing here? Very often the case, you know, I hear it first and then I have to like transcribe my own idea. On See, paper. That's, you just said something that really defines, to me, defines jazz mm. in a way that uh, when I'm sitting and listening to jazz, I get a lot of sat satisfaction at two things. You anticipate, okay? And when it goes the direction you think it's going, you feel like, yeah. But when it goes a whole different direction than what you're thinking, you're like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's so yeah. clever. I, it's I so clever. I know. I, re I really, really don't like things have to be exceptionally good for me to enjoy predict predictability. <laughs> if it's like amazing, then I'm like, yeah, because you're just so amazing as a player that mm -hmm. I don't mind if you only know three chords. You know, like, I, I that's great. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with only knowing three chords. Sorry, that sounds really snobbish. But, you know, like if, if I've heard three chords all my life and I'm very old now, you know, then it's like very, you know, it, it they have to be beautifully played. And I have right. colleagues that I play with who are very predictable in their chord choices, in their improvisation. But their tone or their, their touch is like, oh, I love it anyway. So that that's unpredictable, you know. Yeah. So, so we're going to listen to something really unpredictable here because I yeah, love this song. This song is just amazing. Oh, you here? Go ahead. Yeah, should we just do it? I'll just tell. Should I tell afterwards what it's about? Because you yeah, say that. Yeah, let's like, do that. Let's do that. We're going to listen to it now. Introduce it, and then I'll I'll we'll come back, and then uh, you can talk to us what what the song is about. Okay. Go ahead. Introduce the song. So this is Broadway Bomb, uh, uh, a jazz symphony in three parts, <laughs> a long song by me. Uh, featuring uh, a, a bunch of people I played with NYU. There's a, a, a long list of folks. I don't have them all in my head because it's 11 years ago. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> I could do that again. I can run up and grab my coverage. Should I do that again? No, it's all right. This is fine. Ingvar van Guten. Guten. Sorry. <laughs> and Broadway Bomb. <laughs>
Broadway Bomb with Ingvild Vatengutu. So tell us what that song's about. Well, people think it might have to do with, you know, terrorism or an explosion or something. In the, it's not. A Broadway Bomb is, for the initiated, the name of uh, an illegal longboard, skateboard, longboard race that starts, that goes every, I think it's in October, uh, in, you know, down Manhattan. And it started uh, many years ago with like 16 longboarders. And now there's, uh, the last time I looked, there was like four or 5,000 people that are skateboard enthusiasts, longboarders, and they go down Broadway. They call it the Broadway Bomb. They go start it uh, in Harlem at 125th Street. And then they go all the way down to uh, Wall Street kind of district. Wow. And it is... Uh, it's depicted. That's why we're doing all different kinds of lils. And you have some of this stuff you have like during the sort of section. That's like the wheel spinning. It's kind of like a little film score. And I actually I got it. was planning because I was studying film scoring and jazz at the same time. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make the movie, uh, you know, and then it didn't happen. The movie didn't happen, but the film score is there waiting for the. <laughs> for the footage. <laughs> so I had very specific images from different parts of uh, Manhattan going down, uh, you know, and it's kind of like an ABA form so that you, you know, it's like the beginning of mm -hmm. it and then the end and you kind of come come to the end of the race. So, yeah, it's a, it's an homage to irreverence and, uh you know, slight rule breaking, which is what these guys are doing. The police are there with like orange nets to catch them, you know, because it's dangerous. <laughs> well, you kind and of these kids and parents, they're parents with kids, and they just go down this thing. Nobody has ever asked for a permit. And I hope it's kind of happen. rule breaking in how you wrote that song though, too. When you think yeah, about it. Yeah, totally on the bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should be a rule again. I wasn't even wearing a helmet as I was composing. Oh, no. <laughs> We're with Ingvil Vatengutu from Anchorage, Alaska. We're going to come back and talk with her about a love song in just a moment. But if you've ever, if they ever write a movie, if they ever write a movie called Where in the Hell is Tecumseh, Kansas, the answer is going to be really easy. It's where you find Monkey House Guitars. Okay. Monkey House Guitars is a small, made-to-order guitar shop. If you can think it, they can build it. It's that simple. Some of the most beautiful handmade guitars you'll ever see, meticulously designed and crafted per your specs. Nothing by machine, hand-laid frets, everything routed and sanded uh, in the shop at Monkey House Guitars. The Multiverse Guitar, it's singularly one of the most innovative and interesting guitars I've ever seen. And you can actually watch it being made through slides on their Facebook page, you see like the beginning and you know all the stages of it being built. It's just a, all done at the hands of Luthier Mike Thompson. It's an amazing artisan. Please check out their Facebook page, Monkey House, one word, guitars, Tecumseh, Kansas, where guitars go to get created, right? You got to check those guys out since you play guitar. You got some beautiful, beautiful stuff there. We're with... Uh, Engelvatten uh, Gutu from Anchorage, Alaska, and we were going to talk about a love song first. But I want to see how you got from Norway to Alaska. Oh wow! How long is this podcast again? Oh, you got you got two minutes. Go. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we we got you to. Uh, well, you've been all over the, the world. I'm just going to do the trajectory. Okay. Uh, Oslo. Every city with an O in it. Oslo, London. 
Glasgow, Toronto, Anchorage, New York, Anchorage, Homer, Anchorage. Okay. So oh. I was touring. I thought I was going to be an actor. I trained in London, um, spent many years, too many years actually living in the didn't do me any good. I um, was got connected to a theater company that started out as a client for my theater music. Then they realized I could also act and direct and was relatively fun to hang out with in a tour van. So we, uh, uh, I went on tour. One of the shows we did was called The Red Balloon. It was a, a theater version of a very famous uh, or successful French little kind of children's movie from the 50s. It really caught on. We did a showcase over in, on, you know, we had an agent in, we had an agent in Toronto and the showcase we did in Florida back in God knows 1997 or something, it just gave us four years of solid touring in the U S and we played on Broadway and we played in Lincoln center, like every sort of big major theater that had any kind of like children or family theater, um, mm -hmm venue uh, we performed they all booked us based on that one uh showcase performance it was incredible and uh during that time we i was on and off the tour towards the end of it we were going to go to these weird uh amazing mysterious sounding locations we were going to la we're going to arizona we're going to alaska that had been booked four years earlier there's no and oh in alaska into alaska <laughs> There's no Alaska. Alaska. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I heard myself say, I think I'm moving here. And it, was, <laughs> it, was like, it just happened like that. I had no intention of moving to Alaska. And I just, it took me three days to decide. And did you, I cannot. Did you meet your wife? You did you meet your wife? wife? Did you meet your wife in Alaska or before that? I met my wife in Alaska. She was mm -hmm. not the reason why I moved there. She's definitely not even the reason why I'm staying because she had wanted to move. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm keeping her here. Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not like uncomplicated love affair so anymore. But I think the first 15 years that I lived here, I was just like, I don't have any other need to go anywhere. You know, it, uh, so uh, this is audio, but before we began the interview, we have a video connection here and I was able to look outside your window. You're at Homer right now and yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, there. it's a catch mark bay and I can see one, two, three, four glaciers uh, and two volca three volcanoes if I go up on my roof. And the, uh, and the Pacific, North Pacific Ocean in a thing. And, when, and from my office... Uh, for my office table, I can actually see a calving glacier with icebergs floating wow. up onto the lake with as like little sailboats. From a distance, it looks like sailboats coming oh, through, cool. but they're icebergs. And the and the lake is higher than the ocean. It's not the ocean; it's actually a lake. Mm -hmm. And it's I just don't even I don't even I take it so for granted. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, but yeah, it's quite a it's quite a place, and I really resonate with the mountains. So and do I. I yeah. I don't blame you. Uh, we you uh, have them where you are. We're Vermont. in in Vermont. Uh, we're in the White Mountains, but I'm in Burlington. So I leave my neighborhood and I make a left turn, and I'm about a mile away from what was once the sixth Great Lake, Lake Champlain. And from Lake Champlain, you look across the, the lake and you can see the Adirondacks, 
if I go south about five miles, I'm in the Green Mountains. If I go wow. east about uh, an hour and a half, two hours or whatever, I'm in New Hampshire. I'm in the White Mountains. The Kangamangas Pass is one of those beautiful uh, mountain ranges you'll ever see in the yeah. in the fall when the leaves all change. But, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, see, I'm getting really syrupy and sappy for a reason because, you know, I, I find romance in the mountains and in scenery and in all yeah. that nature has to offer. And I get transported there with songs like the one we're going to talk about next. Yeah. You know, no lyrics, no lyrics, just the music. No lyrics. But you can feel, you can feel love. You know, you know what I mean? It's like watching a, I don't know, watching a, not even a rom-com, a, a deep romantic movie. <laughs> this music fits there at certain scenes, you know? So let's talk about it. The song is called Love Carry Me. Tell me about it. Yeah. And this has a, a kind of a long, it's actually a very personal thing, this uh, film, uh, this movie, because it's it's not from a film, but it, it has also had a couple of iterations. Uh, but I'm happy now that it has this one. So I think I wrote it quite a few years ago. I was living in London and it had a different title again. It also has a very personal story. And I, uh, I think it's also one that has, had a long journey it has been through a couple of iterations it has even started out as another title uh, i remember recording or not recording but performing it in london with a jazz band i had there at the time when i was actually probably having a lot of personal difficulty just not feeling i was getting anywhere and i can't remember why but i called it no one's there <laughs> <laughs> pretty depressive title <laughs> And it was very sort of just super, super mellow and cool, cool and sort of dark and cool and cold and film noir type thing. And it was supposed to be not have very much personal warmth in it. And then it went into me writing a song uh, that had uh, that became like a yeah, it just stole. I stole from myself and wrote a song called Love Carry Me, which was really about a person who cannot settle down. And uh, they're saying to their lover that, you know, you mustn't expect that, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, don't fall in love with me because you'll hurt kind of thing. And then it switches into a very, very completely hopeful gospel type verse, which is about uh, love carry me. Finally, I will be able to to settle down. I have a hope that I will. So it's like a person being very torn and then they're looking ahead to their hope that they will be able to settle down. So it has a positive outcome. And I think that that part of the song, the verb, the word, the tongue with words uh, is what we're replicating here. And this also was recorded. All of these tracks that we've played today, thank you for doing that, are on the album called On the Crosswalk that I recorded in the old um, uh, Ornette Coleman studio in Harlem, which is now called some, you know, it's not called the right, melody right. thing anymore. But um, that's what this is, is Love Carry Me.
Love Carry Me. What a beautiful song. Thank you. Uh, We're with uh, wrapping things up with Ingville Vatnagutu from Anchorage, Alaska. Ingville, spell your name. Spell it. Wow, that's going to take a while. I can do it in Spanish. E for our non-latin that. listeners now it's y-n-g-v-i-l yeah. just yeah. so people can find you because it's it's unique i understand but there's lots of latinos more latino people living in the u.s than others yeah y-n-g-v-i-l and Here's the thing, my uh, you can just go to my my website is yvgmusic.com. So my Perfect. three initials, yvgmusic.com. Um, I'm trying to keep it updated. I probably have to rush uh, now after we record this and get it updated for when your listeners like <laughs> get to go. Uh, but Put you I, on honestly, the spot here. <laughs> hey, Facebook threw me off because they had some kind of fraud on my, you know, there was uh, something. So I lost all my 2,500 followers on Facebook oh, no. last summer. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to bother. And it's been great. But of course, been very quiet. <laughs> so I'm still <laughs> so using my website for now. Instagram is another place. What's what's coming up? What do we see this summer? What are you, what, what you going to be doing? Yeah, So I'm working on a couple of collaborations. I have just finished an album that is at, uh, the, we're making CDs as at disc makers right now and there will be a website there's a in in a yupik elder a woman she's 76 years old she asked me a few years ago if i would uh write music to traditional yupik uh, so that's alaska indigenous music and i'm honored to have been able to work with her and her very famous son uh philip blanchett uh to uh produce and write uh 10 songs that i've kind of composed and arranged music to very much out of style with uh, Yupik Eskimo music because that's just singing and drumming. Uh -huh. And that album is out as in like any minute now. It's called Nuget, N-I-U-G-E-T. Huh. And my name should be, I should put some, I'm putting uh, tasters up on my website, but it's, uh, she's an, a Yupik elder with very little interest in musical career. So uh, it's not kind of going to, come out the usual channels until we really put the pressure on <laughs> and then the other uh but it's beautifully produced and great graphics and we have all the lyrics and everything in two languages and it's, it's a little milestone actually in preserving and m merging fusing fuse fusion of a european culture with yupik culture so yeah. i'm super honored to have been the first one to do that ever um and that's a very niche thing. The other thing is another niche thing, Alaska Electronic Orchestra with uh, sax player Rick Zelinsky. We will be playing festivals next year, but we're just booking it right now uh -huh. or this summer and the fall. So again, uh, people come to my website. They can find their way through the maze there and two different projects that I'm working on. And wow. unless you're living in Alaska, it's going to be a little hard to catch me playing anywhere because... We are kind of hanging out out here on our own. And, and Homer is not the easiest place to get to. No, but it's one of the most beautiful places. Yeah. And there's a great festival here in the fall called the World Arts Festivals. Wonderful. Uh, World Arts Festival. But yeah, I'm staying put for a bit and people can catch me online. And I have tons and tons of podcasts and um uh, uh blogs and, 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 like and that blog yeah so we can connect 
we can connect online. That's everybody. wonderful. Yeah. And thank you so much, Tom, for oh, thank you. finding me and, and dragging me here. <laughs> because I really, <laughs> enjoyed, really enjoyed talking with you. Well, I've had fun talking with you, too. And our special thanks today, then, to Ingvild Vatten Gutu. Join us tomorrow as we move to try and take a, well, a different twist. We're going to interview B-Bad Productions, a promotional and production company. Talk about their side of the business of the music industry. Not an artist, not a musician, not a singer-songwriter, but a really interesting organization. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. We'll be joining you again tomorrow. Now, if you like today's show, please go to our website or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. The website is www.musicofamericapod.com. Follow the show, follow the episode, like it, do all those things that you're supposed to do, punch, push buttons, do whatever. We tally the votes of our shows, and the most listened to, most voted on shows will be rebroadcast at the end of the season in our, quote, best of, unquote, shows. Uh, hope to see you there. Hope to have you vote. Look forward to having you tune us with again and listening to the music of America.